weave your way through the enchanted world of Loon, a musical LucasArts point-and-click adventure that rewrote all the rules. Let's catch up on all this week's Amiga news and community updates on Amigos Everything Amiga. Hi everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're talking about Loom. Mm. Aaron, do you have any sewing experience? None. <laughs> no, what I've never about sewn in, anything. In the Schaffner's class, you never sewed anything? I don't, I don't know. I never had home you ec. You never had home ec? No, because that's did you it was, get out of home ec or band. That really? Was a, yeah, that's the way they did they, it. They wrote the rules differently when I was in middle school. Yeah, can you imagine? Because now I cook. Right. Well, and I don't know nothing. Right. Now you know why. You could have learned how to make monkey bread. Well, I could have. You know, that sounds gross. That's where I learned how to write a check. What's I monkey bread? I learned so many. Monkey bread is like you take uh, like a Pillsbury dough, mm-hmm. and you roll it out, and you sprinkle it with cinnamon and sugar, mm-hmm. and then you bake it. Mm, that does sound good. good eating. There were stoves in there. We learned how to cook. Yeah. We learned how to sew a button. I loved home ec. I got no. I got. I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I needed it more than anyone, mm-hmm. but I didn't get to go. Homemaker band. That was your. Or I think there was like shop. Maybe mm. that was it. That's so you never you did the shop thing either. No, you I never had. Never had that. shop either. No, yeah. no. They phased shop out by the time I came through, which is dumb because yeah. shop's super helpful. Right. You know. Right. I wanted know? to learn carpentry skills. There should know? be something for like car repair. Yeah. Or yeah. I, I, you know. Stuff that we don't that we take for granted, but like mm-hmm. no one knows how to do it. Right. Like I'm horrible with cars. I don't yeah. know how you are. You're no, probably, I have no skills. You know, so no if it wasn't for my dad, I'd have been boned a million times. You know, you never thought about going into the sort of sewing creative arts, like a cross stitch or uh, anything like that. No, oh. no, I've never knitted. Mm-hmm. I've never cross stitched. I've never hook stitched. I've never done anything with. I've never done anything. I can't even put a uh, iron on on. I can't do any of that stuff. Yeah, I uh, I've done some cross stitching. We I should have we should have pulled those off the wall over there. Your initials. That oh I yeah, those were those there. were great. Those are real nice. And uh, I'd love I'd love to learn how to crochet. If you can crochet, you can make three D objects. Yeah. And I'd love to be able to do that one of these days when I retire. I'm looking around the room here for that mat that we got. Oh yeah, what, my that mom. Was, that my was mom, made. Yeah, my mom is sewn this, Look at this mat here. This is a quilted uh, placemat. So nice. That boat's actually got stuff, got stuff on it. But yeah. yeah. Isn't that pretty? Yeah. So nice. My mom is an expert quilter. She actually has a long arm quilting machine in her basement. Uh, and so that is her main hobby. So maybe I got a little bit of those genes in me. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We should talk about our good buddy, the Huck. Yeah. Because what does he do with it? He is a sewing machine repair tech. Yeah, but it sounds lame, but it's all computerized, yeah. right? Yeah. It's amazing. In modern day sewing machines, I mean, they basically have an iPad mounted to the outside yeah. of them. They're they're high tech. He does he does a lot of work. I mean, he stays busy too. Yeah. Like there's not a ton of the guys doing Especially that. Especially down in New Zealand. Yeah. So yeah, in stitches is, uh, I think it's a hawker at nstitches.co.nz yeah. if you need sewing machine repair done in New Zealand. Shout out to the Hucks. As we mentioned, our old house A500. I think that, didn't that come from Hucks? It did. It did. You know, and I believe he also, did he also set up the Spectrum we He done? set up the Spectrum. And so, yeah, we, we appreciate Gary. And uh, Aaron, let's talk about Loom. Shall we? So, Aaron, let's talk Loom, shall we? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it, bud. So, Loom, I guess I would call it a a fantasy-themed graphic adventure game. Yeah. 
that was released in 1990 by Lucasfilm Games. This is pre-LucasArts. They were still known as Lucasfilm Games. Uh, Lucasfilm, by this time, had really made their mark as the point-and-click adventure company. You know, they, they got their start on the 8-bit systems. You had Ball Blazer and uh, Rescue on Fractalus. But towards the late 80s, they shifted into uh, a, uh, the realm of the point-and-click adventure. So uh, the game's lead designer was a guy named Brian Moriarty. Uh, he had previously worked at Infocom, Aaron. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and he, he created uh, text adventures like Wishbringer, uh, Trinity, and Beyond Zork. So this was not uh, Brian's first rodeo in terms of the adventure game. Um, but he... Uh, Basically, things weren't going so good at Infocom. Infocom's bread and butter was the text parser-based adventure game. Yeah. And uh, by the 1990, that well was running dry. People, yeah. People had, uh, people had been turned on to the graphical adventure game at first, where you had like the uh, this uh, queen of the desert on the cocoa. You had the, the picture up top and the text on the bottom. Yeah. And then, of course, you had Maniac Mansion. And you had the point-and-click adventure game, which totally, you know, brought things onto another level. We've, been, we've never covered anything from them, have we? On on this show? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I don't think we've done did, any info. Did we, you play much of their stuff back in the day? I did. I did because on the Atari Eight Bits, we didn't have a lot of those. Poor, you know, we never got King's Quest. We never got Maniac Mansion, of course. Right. Um, and so uh, the text adventures were all I had, and I never even had a game like uh, like the Interbank Incident or anything like that. Yeah. that was t- uh, you know text on the bottom and picture on the top. Yeah, that's that's wacky. But I mean, I never got into Infocom games at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple I tried, but I just I couldn't get into the whole text screen thing. Which is funny because I tried to write games just like them, mm-hmm. but I mean they were easier to write, right? That's it's why. easier to write a text yeah, game. Yeah, so for you sure. can see how someone would abandon ship over right. Infocom, right? And so um, the other developers on this game included Jennifer Sward. Uh, she was the director. She also worked on a later LucasArts game, The Legend of Kyrandia, and The Secret of Monkey Island as a oh. project lead and writer. Uh, Greg Hammond was the producer. Uh, he was a major league producer. He did this. He did Star Wars X-Wing and mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Um, the Two of the assistant programmers were Peter Lincroft and Kalani Stryker. Uh, they programmed uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Maniac Mansion. They did TIE Fighter, Rebel Assault. Man. They, yeah. They these, they were guys, doing. these guys had a pedigree that were off the charts. If you yeah. were working for they, Lucasfilm, Lucasfilm Games, they didn't hire, you know, stinkers. And then they also didn't produce garbage. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, the the big the big artist in this game, Aaron, was uh, Mark Ferrari. Uh, Mark Ferrari the uh, the the graphic design genius behind the Secret of Monkey Island, Thimbleweed Park, Maniac Mansion, Zap McCracken, The Curse of Monkey Island, and The Dig. Mm. This guy, he is when it comes to these type of games, he is the first and the last name in their graphical production. Yeah, uh, and the composers of this game, of course, the the main composer in Loom is uh, Peter Tchaikovsky. Uh, yeah. All of the uh, the music from this game comes from the ballet Swan Lake, but George Sanger and Eric Hammond brought that music to the Amiga sound chip. Um, they also composed uh, the music for Wing Commander 2, Seventh oh, Guest, yeah. and uh, The Fate of Atlantis. Yeah. You okay. can't. You can do worse than than that artist there. Yeah. So yeah. this is this is an all star squad. Yeah. Putting together this game. This game. 
Loom was the fourth game to use the SCUM engine. Uh, the SCUM engine, of course, SCUM stands for Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion. Uh, and uh, Zach McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders was the second one after Maniac Mansion. And then The Last Crusade, which we covered on the show, was the third one. Uh, this game, however, features a distinctive interface that instead of re relying on a verb uh, inventory list at the bottom, uh, all you have is a, a, a staff, a wooden staff. And when you click on different parts of the staff, uh, you get different notes. And that's what your main form of interfacing with this game is. Uh, the story is a story. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's your, your sort of typical fantasy arc where you have a, a young man that goes on a quest to try and save the world. It's influenced by all kinds of mythology and, and, and folklore. The actual game Loom, the, the title Loom itself, there's different meanings of the word Loom. Of course, when we think about Loom, what do you think of first? Uh, it's a it's used to to uh, make uh, fabric. Yeah, right? yeah, it's a it's a wooden device right. that you string up string, and then you got a thing that makes the makes like rugs and stuff. Yeah. Okay, but loom also is a verb. You can loom large. Okay? Yeah, and so yeah. this was this was what was going through uh, Brian's head as he uh, as as he as he designed this game. Um, so let's talk about. The uh, a little bit about how this game came about. Um, so Brian had left uh, he left Infocom because they they basically were were cutting all the resources. They were trying to trim the fat, mm. and he just wasn't happy. And he went to this party where one of the the, the guys that was working for uh, Lucas Lucasfilm was, and they're like, he's like, hey, you know, we're we're hiring right now, and uh, he got on, and apparently. They sort of gave him carte blanche to do whatever he wanted to do, hmm. uh, and uh, they said the the only rules are create things of quality and don't embarrass George. Those were the the two rules to live by. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. so you can imagine uh, Lucas uh, Lucas Arts at this time was flushed with cash. You know, uh, the the Star Wars uh, series had had done gangbusters. They were making you know piles and piles of money, and so um, this is the result. Of uh, this is sort of the opposite of a lot of the games we look at. We're always talking about how developers were under the gun; they were pressed for time; they didn't have enough resources. In America, a lot of the times things were just different. You know, yeah. you, you had bigger budgets, you had um, development teams that were experienced, and uh, you had unlimited resources. And that's what that's what Loom was. Um, uh, Brian started working on Loom about three weeks after he got hired at LucasArts. So this was his first project. He'd done, uh, he'd done research uh, at Infocom. They, they did all of this research about who's buying our games. Right. And um, one thing that was constant about the, uh, the, the, the responses they got, they said, what games are your favorite and what games have you finished? And it turns out that Wishbringer ranked really, really highly on this list because it was the only game that people were actually able to finish. It turns out that not a whole lot of people finish Zork. Yeah, know? no kidding. <laughs> Zork. And so he brought that sort of idea into the development of Loom. So let's talk about the, the, the Loom, the game. So Loom uh, takes place in, in a fantasy world, and this is a world of guilds, okay? Not unlike D&D, you know, your classic fantasy trips. You got the, the blacksmithing guild. You got the shepherding guild, the glassmaking guild. <clears throat> this game focuses on the guild of weavers. 
And this guild of weavers, they're not they're not weaving just fabric. They're 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 weaving, I guess, the fabric of reality. I guess you could say uh, these tapestries that they create. They actually create the 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 world that people live in. It's a very, so they're a very powerful guild. Um, they use a an instrument called a distaff to play musical spells, or they're called drafts in this game that alter characters or objects in the game world. So they're like wizards, basically. I mean, is that what you you call them? I'd say like if you crossed a wizard and a bard, yeah, you would get that. Bards basically have magical powers with their music. Yeah, very similar. Very yeah. similar. Very similar. So. The game's protagonist is Bobbin. Now, I knew what this word was because of my mom. Have you ever heard the word Bobbin before? It's in the part of a sewing machine. It is. It's, yeah. the, it's the part uh, in which the yarn or the thread is wound yeah. in the sewing machine. Uh, so Bobbin Threadbare, he's a young weaver, and uh, he was born under mysterious circumstances. So if you if you listen to the audio uh, the the audio drama that that comes with this game that came with this game, yeah. it explains his whole backstory. But in the, in the in the game itself, it just says he was he was born weirdly. Um, his mother, uh, Lady, her name was Lady Signa Threadbare. Uh, she she planted a gray thread into the great loom. Okay, so she put this thread in there that didn't belong, and this caused a tear in the fabric of the universe, and it brought forth Bobbin as an infant. I guess she couldn't conceive naturally, so she did the old the IVF. Of uh, of loom is putting the old uh, spare thread in the in the in the in the loom. Uh, so Signa got in trouble. She was banished from the guild, and she was turned into a swan by the elders. Okay, uh, that and the elders feared that Bobbin was this this sign of doom that was going to cause the end of the world. So uh, Bobbin grows up. He's shunned by everybody, his fellow weavers, because he lives on this island, and it's only him and the rest of the weavers. Uh, he learned how to use his distaff from his caretaker, Hetchel, who's like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of this story. Okay, So, on his 17th birthday, this is where the story opens in the game, uh, he witnesses his fellow weavers being turned into swans by this mysterious force, and he follows them through this tear in the universe. Okay, And he learns that he's what's called the Loom Child. The loom child is this prophesied savior who can restore balance to the world or bring about its destruction. Okay, the main guy that's doing the destructing in this game is called Chaos. It's a popular bad guy name. I've mm. seen it pop up several yeah. times. Uh, Chaos was actually inspired by Maleficent in the Sleeping Beauty films. Mm. Uh, those horn things, yeah. you know, the yeah. horn lady. She's awesome looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good. Chaos. He's got the typical M.O. of your bad guy. He wants to unravel the loom and end all existence. So. What a jerk. Yeah. Aaron, when this game opened up, what were your thoughts? Well, I'm going to come clean here. When when this got pulled, this is one of those ones I look at, I'm like, oh, man. And I've been avoiding this thing like the plague. I was like, oh, man. this Because I always, I, this is going to seem stupid, but I was always in the press. I think it was real complicated and tough. Right, so it came up, and I put off playing it for a while. Finally, I sat down and played it. Well, it turns out I'm dumb, and it's not that hard. the uh, The opening story is probably, gosh, it's got to be 15, 20 minutes 15 long. Fifteen minutes long because I had to watch it you know? twice because I didn't save my game correctly. The oh first man! Time. <laughs> and can you not skip it? I no, didn't try. You can't skip it. And so, uh, uh, but I mean, it really does uh, give you a good backstory mm. to to what's happening. And then, of course. Uh, um, 
you've also got the audio that you talked about. That shows you right there the care that was given to this game. Because I believe it came with an instruction manual, plus like a, uh, a spell book, or, you know, like a, where you can jot down your notes. Plus, it came with this audio thing, so they weren't screwing around. Yeah, when and, that's, and that's the, that is the, the key to this game. Yeah. The pattern book is what came with this game, and what this is designed to look like is an old engraved book from the Middle Ages. You can see if, if you're watching the video here, this is uh, the pattern book, and it is uh, it's set out like a medieval instruction manual, and yeah. it's got all of these woodcut engravings in them. And there's a place I'm for I'm going to blow you up okay. here so people can see. And there's a place for you to write your spells down, okay? And the spells are all for a sequence of four musical letters that you play on the distaff. And what's cool about this is that it's, it doesn't come out and say, okay, this is the shrinking spell. This is the this is the weaving spell. This is the you know it's a, they're called things like straw into gold or rending or night vision. Okay, and so uh, the, the, and there's all there's beautiful uh, turns of phrase. Each one of these things is described well. And like I said, the original artwork you really feel as you move through the game and as you're writing these spells into the spell book, you really feel like you're becoming part of the world, and that's. Part of the magic of this game, if you just sit down and you play it without the feelies, you don't get the full experience. You know, if you sit down with this thing and you listen to the audio drama on the cassette that it came with, and you you page through this spell book and you start to play the game, you really feel like you become part of this world. It's like this living, breathing world. And that's not a feeling that I've gotten from a lot of other games, and I think that coming from that text adventure background that Brian did, he knew the importance of having good feelies. Yeah, I know? agree. And I will say, i I got to thank Ricky DeRoche for setting me up with a lot of good uh, info on the backstory of this. And the books are great. I looked at the PDFs of them, and you they're perfect. They do. I, I can absolutely see how this would add to the experience. Uh, you know, because the way you get the different uh, drafts in this is real neat. I mean, they just sort of... It's almost like your your uh, staff like echoes magic around it, and this is how you learn. And then if you jot them down, and like you said, you can put them. Down. And so jotting them down, you know, in a lot of games, you jot, you put down a magic word. Mm -hmm. That's not going to do it here mm -hmm. because you're going to be mixing these things up to do back. You know, and it and it's perfect, mm -hmm. perfect, perfect, perfect. Anyway, getting back to my original thoughts, I was nervous. It comes up. I'm still nervous, and then I start playing the game. And it just, it works. It's the most simple uh, interface you've ever seen. And it worked. It, and it, I loved it. For someone like me, who is not, you know me. Listen, everybody loves Monkey Island. Everybody loves this game. I've never been any good at them, and they frustrate me. This was probably, I would say I got about halfway through the game. Mm -hmm. right? And with a few exceptions where I needed help, mm -hmm. I did it on my own. It's very joyous. As you uh, go through the game, the way you uh, know you're doing well is because you'll gain notes on your staff. Right. And you see stuff early in the game where you don't have enough notes. Okay, now I do. Mm -hmm. You know, not to jump ahead, but right away, just from the opening. And also, I'm not really into that much. I'm not a big humor guy in gaming. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like to have a good laugh. Mm -hmm. But this is a story that, for the most part, takes itself pretty seriously. And... 
Uh, it was a neat story. The the you know the way it looked was neat. It was it was uh, um, just my initial thoughts were surprising. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So in this game, Bobbin travels across all these different lands, and he encounters the various guilds that have been affected by chaoses trying to unravel the universe. Uh, he's got there's tons of characters in this game. Uh, they either help him or hinder him. There's uh, Fleece Firmflanks, a shepherdess who's lost her flock to chaos. He meets a blacksmith, Rusty Nailbender. Uh, there's the, the main bad guy in the game, B- Bishop Mandible. That's a great name. I'm Bishop Mandible. Yeah, it's yours. That's bad. <laughs> he wants to actually summon chaos. He's rooting for chaos. Uh, Princess Forge, uh, a glassmaker. And uh, there's even a dragon who is a former weaver that was corrupted by chaos uh, and that, that he he comes and he actually gets kidnapped by. That's about where I got. I got to the dragon part. So Bobbin, like you said, learns new drafts, not by somebody telling him like, hey, here's this thing or picking up a scroll like you would in another game. Yeah. He, he learns drafts by observing objects or events that have the qualities of the desired draft. So for example... Uh, he learns the opening draft by watching a door being unlocked, and then it'll go boom, 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 boom. It's a lot like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. you know? And it's super exciting mm-hmm. when your staff kicks up. You're like, oh! Right. And then, and like I said, I can't tell you how happy I was. Whenever that happened, I would grab that thing, and I'd be like, okay, let's watch it again. Then I'd copy it down, yeah. and I'd be like, boom, it's complete. Yeah. Okay? Um, so... The game story is divided into four chapters, and each one is corresponding with four elements, okay? Um, There's earth, air, fire, and water. Each chapter ends with Bobbin facing one of the four swans that represent his destiny. So birth is represented by his mom, Cigna. Life is his, his, uh, his caretaker, Hetchel. Death is Cobb, which is the dragon, and then Ascension is the, the Swan King. So the game has different endings depending on the difficulty level. At the beginning of the game, you have standard, practice, and expert. Right. Okay? So on uh, practice and standard modes, uh, you can you click on the, there's, there's the full musical notes on the bottom. On expert mode, you don't get that. You only get the staff, and you have to click on various sections of the staff. I played on standard after I tried to practice. That's neat, though. Yeah. That's an interesting slant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you only get the best ending yeah. if you play expert mode. Oh, my. Okay. okay. So on standard and practice modes, Bobbin defeats chaos and restores balance to the loom. Uh, he then joins the swans and leaves behind his distaff for someone else to find. On expert mode, Bobbin fails to stop chaos and watches as reality is torn apart but then he uses his distaff to play one final draft that creates a new pattern for a new world. Oh, wow. I mean, that's heavy that's, stuff. That, that, that sounds horrible, actually. Actually, it's cool, though. It's well, like I a mean, phoenix. You know, the, I world, guess. the world ends, but then the world begins. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, you know, is it the best ending? Maybe not, but it's I'm a, not it's a sure. different ending. I don't ending. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, the graphics in this game... Um, this is the first game that w- there was a, a graphical technique that was uh, that was developed by uh, Ferrari called dithering. Okay, and dithering is where you take and this wasn't this wasn't actually developed by Ferrari. This is the first time it was used in a game like this. It's where you take you know the original EGA color palette only has sixteen colors. Right. Okay, 
and Mark Ferrari hated the EGA color palette. Uh, he said it was like looking through the eyes of a circus clown on pupil dilators. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it I is, had a look at. It's too, very yeah. it's very bright. You know, if you think about we played Indiana Jones in the in, yeah. the, in the Last Crusade, it's that typical EGA flair. It's still way better than CG. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And so what he did was he was trying to he used uh, this technique dithering to create colors that when viewed from afar, they sort of formed other colors. So you got more natural gradients and things like that. The problem is, is that it took up a lot of disk space because these images were so large. Of course, we had the famous Amiga images of King Tut's tomb and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. But none of those appeared in games because the files were so they were big. They huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were huge. And yeah. so what he did, the developers were, at first they were like, listen, we can't put this in the game. But what he did was he created this beautiful picture and he left it on his computer screen and then he went to lunch. And right. when he came back, he saw some of the executive producers of the game looking at the screen being like, man, that's beautiful. How can we get this in the game? So yeah. that was his strategy so for he getting deadering in the game. Yeah, yeah, he meant to do that. So uh, that is the, the, big, the big graphical upgrade in this game from Zach McCracken was the use of these the, this dithering technique. Um, so, um, Aaron... Tell me about, what did you think about this game in general? Um, I was stunned how much I enjoyed it. I'm not going to lie. Because uh, you know I'll trash these games if I don't like them. If they're popular. Uh, but this was right up my alley. I, I'm as stunned as I've ever been on this show with this game. Because I was ready to drop the hammer. And uh, uh, it got me. The story got me, but the interface really got me. The puzzles make sense to me, you know, and they're doable, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, um, I, I solved problems. It worked out great, uh, and I really enjoyed it. And I, the, it, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a beauty in this that you don't get with a lot of these games. I mean, it's more like an artistic beauty. Mm -hmm. I, as hokey as it sounds, I know it does. But the backstory, the whole bit with the swans, it's beautiful. The uh, the the loom itself, all the all the legends behind this, they're interesting. Like this was real. Someone really sat down and thought about this, uh, and and uh, it's it's a real interesting way to look at things. I, I thought it was great. I'll be honest with you. I I I, uh, I squeezed it as much as I could this week. Got my game saved and stuff, which has a save game. I like the idea that there's a practice mode. There's a lot of people I read around that think this game is easy, you know, or too short. But you've got to... I like a game like that's. I don't want to go play for 100 hours, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, I want to see how the... I want to be able to beat the game. I want to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And the other ones, I never can get anywhere. It drives me nuts. And this one was functional... And beautiful with good dialogue. It took itself seriously. I like the backstory. If you listen to the audio, it explains why the guilds are like they are. How did the how did the weavers go become so powerful? Because they were different than all the other guilds, but they were so good that they earned the guild's respect, and they other guilds allowed them to be eccentric in the way they uh, do things. The just the fact that there's a uh, an audio uh, recording. That comes along with it. I think it's great. I love writing the stuff down the book. The idea that's great. I wish this is a game you don't want to pirate. 
you want to have all the goodies, mm-hmm. you know, so you can do that because that's part of the experience. That doesn't happen that often. We play a million games. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the backstory doesn't matter. Uh, the uh, uh, the game is this a beautiful game? It's it looks okay. It looks pretty good. They did the best they could, more or less. Uh, with that said, uh, uh, it conveys the sense of this world you're in, and that's the important part. So yeah, I, I I'm surprised to say it, but I, this is one of the better games we've played for a while. I think I, this is my game of the year. This is my game of the year. I love. Everything about this game from beginning to end. Um, I got about as far as you did when on the playthrough, but I watched the whole thing. I, I didn't want to see. I didn't want to spoil the ending of it, so I didn't watch it. The 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 places, all of the different locations in this game are beautiful. You are you are going. This is you know we play we play a ton of point and click adventures on this. Yeah. Game. And there are so, there's always one section in these games where there's a maze or some kind of maze or there's some kind of section that just bogs you down. Yeah. Even if you can solve the puzzles, it's like the game that we played the other week where you had all those logic puzzles to solve before yeah. you even got anywhere. Yeah. This is a game that was designed for people like us, people that hated that stuff. In this game, you can't get stuck. It's not like a King's Quest game where you give the food to the wrong guy and it's gone forever. Okay. That was a thing that Sierra, or I mean, that, that LucasArts games, going forward, this game and going forward, they, they maintain that. This is a game, like you said, it doesn't try and be funny. Sometimes humor works, sometimes it doesn't. This yeah. is a serious story. And I love the mm-hmm. fact that the whole, the, the, there's, there's the music from Swan Lake is throughout. I yeah. mean, I, I realize that, you know, the, it's an, it, classical music's always easy because it's out of print. You know, you don't have to worry about securing the rights. But it's just so rare to hear that kind of music in a video game. Yeah, because it's great. Right, right, <laughs> right. And so... Even even the... They could have done a better job with the music on the Amiga. Right. There's no doubt. Uh, but, uh, uh, mo- a lot of this, the graphics and the sound... There were straight ports off of the DOS version, mm. which is a is a in, mistake. In this game, yeah, that. in this game was developed for DOS first. Yeah. It was developed on on the PC. You can tell. Um, in his office, uh, in Brian's office, they gave him a Mac for writing and a PC running Deluxe Paint Two for uh, for doing doing the game, and so. Um, but I just love it. I love it. I I don't understand. I mean, if you bought this game and you paid fifty bucks for it and you were already an adventure game veteran. Difficulty is such a hard thing, you know, because I, I understand. I understand the frustration of it feeling like it's too easy. But for me, if I can get a couple hours out of a game and I can see the ending, to me that's so much more satisfying than just never getting to the end. And I just don't have the patience most of the time to get to the end. Even when I was a kid, I never saw the end of anything. I just want to feel like I'm getting somewhere. Right, right. You know, I don't want that Dallas quest where I'm. it takes months to figure out. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I want to get somewhere in 10 minutes. I want to get somewhere in 20 minutes. Right. And, and this has a nice... I don't, want, I don't even want levels that much. I like the the, the whole music um, thing, and this is per, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I love it. And it makes you feel like, okay, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Yeah, and it's just so refreshing not to have a game where you don't have to worry about inventory. Yeah, most oh, of the time, God, yes. yeah. 90% of the time when you're playing an adventure game, you're using this on this. Well, that didn't work. Well, I'm going to use this on this. Yeah. Or then you're pixel hunting. You're yeah. like, click, 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 yeah. click, click. Man, I couldn't agree to you more. That yeah. Going around the thing with, mm-hmm. the, with the cursor, Yeah, it gets so old. This game gets rid of all of yeah. that, and it's so refreshing. 
And people say, well, this was obviously a flop. You know, they they you know they went right back to the old thing. You know, when they made Monkey Out. Well, guess what? It wasn't. People took this concept and ran with it. They made Mist, and Mist outsold all the Monkey Island games eight zillion to one. Well, this is better than Mist, by the way. But way, it's, way, but better. it's very but yeah, the yeah. interface is very similar. The, it's uh, a very minimal interface. Here's the thing: this interface isn't going to work for every game. It was made for Loom. Right. This is the Loom interface. Yeah. It works for a Loom. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work in another game, right? Unless it was another Loom, mm-hmm. because of the way. And that's good. Be different. And I think the difference may turn some people off. Right, right. And that and it just goes to show nothing about this game was done lazily. You know, you could have, I, if the guy wanted to be late, he could have come up with the story. He could have put the scum engine. It could have looked just like Maniac Mansion. And it would have been okay. Yeah. But the fact that he came up with this incredibly unique, bespoke interface shows that he really, really cared. And if you watch the Game Developers Conference, which I highly recommend you, Ricky Rocher sent this to me. Yeah. You should watch this thing. He cares deeply about this game. He starts crying at some point because the game's development affected him so much. And even though he went on to have a long and storied career, this remains like the top, the tippity top for him because this was the one time where he had total creative control. Yeah, and the thing about it is, again, it's a, it's an outlier. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are plenty of games. Listen, we've played a lot of point-and-click games. They're, they have a, they have a lot of comedy in them. They're kind of wacky. You're doing all this wacky stuff. I, like I said, I'm happy to see something. I mean, this is a this is a big deal. Yeah. You know, and you're playing a guy who's pivotal in this world. Mm-hmm. You're literally uh, the crux of, of the future of this world. It makes it interesting, but it it's not heavy on you. You know, right. there's still you could go walk through the woods and look around. There's no, there's no uh, time restraint, yeah. stuff like that. This game, I love en- this game encourages you to take your time, sure. and explore, and yeah. you have to because you'll get places. You can go a lot of different places mm-hmm. that you can't get past, right? Until you go somewhere else, right? You know, and uh, and that's okay. Yeah. Like for example, if we're watching at home, we're in this area. It's like a glass city. To get past this forest area, you have to look in this scrying crystal. All right. I went to the forest first. I stopped. I couldn't get any further. I'm like, well, let's see what's this way. Mm-hmm. It worked out. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I read that you don't have to even learn all the songs, you know, drafts to mm-hmm. win, to beat the game, mm-hmm. but they make it easier. You know, and the thing is, I could figure it out. That was the important thing to me. And that that trumped, like, this game's not perfect. It's slow. Your guy moves whenever you, Yeah, whenever you have to backtrack and go somewhere else, you're like, here we go. And I don't know, know if there was a way. I didn't know about a way to skip your guy to a different scene or anything I like don't that. Think, I don't know if there so is. So you're going to watch You're gonna watch your guy walk up and down stairs mm-hmm. and go around these bends. And the game is elaborate, these paths. Mm-hmm. So it takes it forever yeah, to Yeah, and sometimes places. the pathfinding is less than ideal. You'll click to go in a direction, and he'll go in a different direction. Yeah. These are small quibbles, though. Right, but I'm know. saying, and it, like the... the could the graphics have been better? Yes, the fact they were improved. We'll talk about it in a minute. Could the sound have been better? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Again, they, there was a version that they improved the sound. Could the uh, uh, um, interface be better? Yeah, in terms of the movement, absolutely. But, listen, none of these things are deal breakers at all. Not even close. Right. It's just, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I, I don't know how well they addressed the movement in other versions of this, but I know they addressed... In fact, maybe they over-addressed some of the elements. Well, let's talk about some of the other versions. The first remake, which I think we're going to work out, came out in 1981 for the TurboGrafx CD. Yeah, and this was also a uh, this also was the same 
uh, version loosely that they got for the FM Towns. Okay. I read that too. Okay. In fact, the FM Towns apparently is the top dog mm. and to, uh, from what I've heard. Really? Yeah. The graphics, I would say, are marginally improved they're in this version. Two, they're more colors. Yeah, there's yeah. more colors. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time with this one. Uh, did you? I guess is, is, is the sound is it, is it CD I quality? Didn't, I sound? didn't try it, okay. but I will say, Loom would lend itself to a joystick. This is one of the few games you could pull off without wanting to kill yourself. With well, a this joystick. is what well, the reason. Part of the reason why his first idea was he wanted this entire gesturally based. Uh, system where you would actually move the mouse in different patterns. Okay, mm -hmm. the problem was he was developing this for DOS in 1990. There still were a ton of people that didn't have mice, and I've seen games that did that. And I didn't like them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm glad he didn't do that. Yeah, and so uh, in the, in this, you know, the way it works, you can use a mouse, you can use the keyboard. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Now the second version is the uh, the VGA version, and the VGA version is really the the version that shines because you have the colors of VGA behind you. Right. You have the power of Redbook Audio behind you. Yeah. And so you can you can I mean this is the this is the version that is fully voiced. That is the crux. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And and so you get all of it. Now they had to kind of constrain. They couldn't put all the lines. I think they had to cut some of the lines out of this version yeah. because they couldn't fit it all on there, but you but having the voice, the character voices are all BBC actors. They're so good. This is, I mean, as much as I, you know, love the, the Amiga version, the Amiga version is important. If you're if you're going to give Loom a shot, you owe it to yourself to at least try the VGA version. I, I as in a lot of these games, I don't like. I once you've played it without the voice, it's tough to hear the voice. Mm -hmm. And so, even if they're great, I don't have a problem with the character. The people doing the characters. I have a, you know, in my mind, you know how it goes. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, of course, you can shut that off, mm -hmm. you know. But if uh, uh, if you have a preference to that, the DOS version, and I, as I recall, I was reading that uh, the DOS version, it took a while for the super for the VGA version to come out. Yeah, because of some sort of there's a legal reason. I don't oh, know really? I, I didn't know that. It was like a six year gap between the the EGA and the VGA version. Uh, of it for whatever reason. That's what I read somewhere. I don't. I didn't specify as to why. Mm. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, uh, it does look nice. Yeah. I, there's no doubt about it. The, yeah. it. It's a beautiful looking version. One uh, one little tidbit of trivia. Um, Jotd uh, did the WHD conversion of this game. We just covered his version of Xevious last week. There you go. So uh, it's all coming full circle. What a stud, by the way. Well done, sir. Um, <clears throat> I looked this up on eBay. Uh, this is recently sold in the United States for $150 complete. Yeah, I knew it would be pricey. It's a pricey game. I knew it would be pricey. Uh, but, like I said, those feelies, they make they make it. Uh, <clears throat> and how many can you get where no one's filled in the blanks? Exactly. That would be even tougher because exactly. you know that's... You want to do it? I'd like to have the real book, and then I would write yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I took like this. A, I took this thing. I printed it out, and then I coil yeah. bound it. Yeah. Because I just loved it so much. Yeah, it's, so, it's yeah, quite good. Yeah. Um, magazine reviews. This game did not review particularly well. You're kidding me. Uh, a lot of reviewers uh, thought the game was too easy. They thought the game was too short, and they they weren't sold on the interface. So this is just one of these instances where. If you play a lot of games and you are writing reviews on the bang for your buck in terms of game length, yeah, uh, you're really selling yourself short if you're if you're making that a big part of your criticism, in my opinion. Um, so we did get some Discord reviews in this game. Uh, <clears throat> we got quite a few actually. 
Uh, first up comes from Ricky DeRocher. He says, a very radical departure from a traditional adventure game as there's no inventory. Also, this game was designed to be easy and to be finished. This game has a very deep atmosphere and lore behind it. It's more of a traditional fantasy than the whimsical King's Quest games. Even though it's on the short side, it's very much recommended. It's really much more of an experience than a game, but that's a good thing in this case. The Amiga version is based on the IBM EGA floppy disk version, which is considered to be the superior version, even though there was a later VGA CD talkie version. Alien Breeder writes, It's amazing how our minds scramble history. I remember seeing Loom in our local computer shop in Warwick, Rhode Island, and being blown away. <laughs> in my mind, this was the game that sold me on the Amiga. However, looking at the dates, Loom came out well after I had my A500 and after the first Indiana Jones. Anyway, Loom was pretty groundbreaking. Graphically, it was shocking for the time. Gameplay was different than past scum games and it had a very unique control system. The story was much more serious in the plot when compared to Maniac Mansion and Indy. I found it highly engaging and a fun adventure. 880 top bananas. <laughs> Bob Sterminator writes, As a person who was just beginning to learn some instruments as a kid, I really like the unique melodic game system. The Amiga sound chip is not the best at polyphonic classical music, but the Amiga version's music is very well adapted. I played this both on the Amiga and PC back then and liked both versions. This was still the time when the versions were on par. Soon the PC VGA version of Lucas Games would leave the Amiga behind. I love how each of the realms have totally different color palettes and feels. The dark blue weavers, the bright green glassmakers, the vibrant countryside of the shepherds, and the hellishly red realm of the blacksmiths. It's rewarding when you are starting to get bored of one area and then finally reach a new realm that feels totally different. The puzzles are fun, and thanks to having only one tool, you'll avoid the usual try every object randomly until you solve it trap. It's a great feeling when you figure out what melody or reversed melody to use by yourself. It's not one of my top Lucas favorites, but it's a unique game that is worth playing. 8 out of 10. Pajaco6502 writes, Ask me about Loom. It has been a few years since I played this, but I played many years. It's been a few years since I played this, but I played many years after this, actually. Boy, that sentence makes no sense, Pajaco. <laughs> so this review is from my memory. Overall, a really interesting point-and-click adventure with a new take on the inventory management and interactions with your environment. I did find a little difficult to get grips with and recall making a ton of notes to try and remember all the different patterns to do things. The story is quite compelling and clearly they had a sequel in mind, probably expecting this to become another Monkey Island series. Graphics by Mark Ferrari again are excellent and the sound, which plays a critical role in this game, is pretty neat. But overall, for me, this one didn't quite strike the right chord. Oh no, he didn't. Good pun, Pajaco. Worth checking out to see what it's all about, but there are better point-and-click adventures. Mitsuyama writes, This game is held in high regard by many people, but I'm afraid that I just don't get the appeal. I first played it after completing Monkey Island 1, which I enjoyed immensely, and I was looking for a similar experience for my next play game. But boy, did Loom fall flat. Comparing it to Monkey Island is probably unfair, but seeing the Lucasfilm Games logo on a point-and-click sets certain expectations. The game is too short, the puzzles are too easy, and the story is too linear. I didn't find the gameplay challenging. Or I didn't find the game challenging. Completed it in a couple sessions and felt a little ripped off by it. You can up the difficulty a little by playing on expert mode, which stops the notes appearing on the staff and makes the drafts a little harder to learn. 
but this does nothing to extend the gameplay. There are some unique elements to this game, but there is a reason most point-and-click games go with a list of verbs and an inventory system. It leads to more interesting gameplay. I disagree. With that being said, I've played this a few times on different systems, my favorite being the TurboGrafx-16 CD version, which has improved graphics and voice acting, but these changes don't improve the game much. Missy Ahmed, not a fan of this game. Uh, Ingalls writes, I actually finished Loom on the Amiga. I guess it was since I played Monkey Island, but was somewhat disappointed since a whole different kind of adventure game. I do remember that the music notes stuff was somewhat of a minor woe thing, but that's all I can remember. I think this game, Aaron, a lot of people played Monkey Island and then were like, what else is out by LucasArts? Because Loom came out before Monkey Island did. Mm. And so that it's, it's, it's sort of unfair to compare a later game to an earlier game because they've refined some things, but at the same time, this is a completely different experience than Monkey Island. It's a completely different game. Yeah. You know, someone mentioned that they had, they thought this was prompt for a sequel. I, everything I read, they had never planned a sequel for this. Mm. I heard that uh, the uh, one of the critics said it wasn't out of the question, but they never wrote this to be a series. Um, listen, I'm going to say it. This is my favorite Lucas point and click. Well, that, by far. Yeah. The story. I don't like funny, number one. And number two, I like the interface. I like the gameplay. I like the uh, the beauty of it. It's beautiful. And I don't play these things. I didn't go into this. Well, I did go into it with preconceived expectations. They were scary to me and wrong. Uh, it's not everyone's cup of tea. And if you did play the Monkey Island series, then you're like, here I come. Mm-hmm. If you beat that game, those two games, you're already a mega stud. You're going to blow through this. Right. You can understand. Right. And I do understand yeah. the criticism of feeling ripped off by a short game, yeah. especially if you are coming out of Monkey Island having beaten it. Yeah, I'm just saying that when I play a game like this, I look at it as, like I think Ricky said it, it's more of an experience. I experience the sound, the graphics, and everything. And, you know, maybe it's because I'm an old idiot, but I, I enjoy the ride. I just enjoy the ride, you know? Yeah, I I, like I said, I'm I'm as surprised I've ever been. I really enjoyed it. I'll go back. I'm going to try to beat this one, which and you know me, but I mean it's. I, I thought to myself, I mean I can see Mitsuyama. He got hat. He beat it in two sessions. I can absolutely see that yeah. because I've gotten pretty far into it in a couple sessions, mm-hmm. and I'm an idiot. Right. So someone like him could crush it. Right. And if you have it, it, it and so far it's logical to me. There's none of this weird puzzle stuff that I can never understand. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's good. That's for, that's what I like. Mm-hmm. You know, now I don't think I could ever beat it on expert. But hey, listen, I like to have something that caters to someone like myself a little I'd bit. like to see you pick this up where you left off on the disaster stream and play a little bit of it too. Oh I man. Think that would be it's fun. a good idea, boat. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Let's move on, shall we? We have covered Loom, it's done and dusted. If you ask any Amiga repair technician what the most problematic component of a motherboard is, they'll undoubtedly mention capacitors. The electrolytic capacitors that ship with the Amiga are 30 years old or older at this point, and each one is a ticking time bomb waiting to explode battery acid all over your motherboard, sometimes damaging it irrevocably. Don't wait. Replace your capacitors now. Full capacitor kits for every Amiga model are available now at RetroRewind.ca. Don't want to attempt the repair yourself? Use their white glove recap service and leave the intricate removal and soldering process to the professionals using industry standard equipment. Use the promo code AMIGOS10 at checkout and save 10% off your cap kit or service. Remember, 
Make RetroRewind.ca your first stop for all your Commodore computer needs. Amiga News. All right, Aaron. Our first story this week. Have you ever wanted to build a levitating boing ball? Who hasn't, Boat? <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> this guy with a really high, loud voice is going to explain I thought it I to had you. the wrong speed on the video, to be honest with you. But, I mean, that's, hey, listen. Different strokes, man. That's the way I look at it. This, I, I, I jest because this is actually a really cool project. Yeah. You know, I've seen these things on Amazon before. They are... Um, like 3D printed moon globes that rest on a on a base, and it actually levitates and rotates yeah. with the power of magic. My dad's got something like that on his house. Yeah. Right, and so what this guy has done is he's like, listen, if we can make a revolving moon, why not a revolving boing ball? But he doesn't stop there. Uh, of course, he paints up the boing ball red and red and white, and then he builds a special uh, holder for the base. The base looks like a little uh, Commodore computer, like a little uh, C128 or something. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very clever. This is a neat project, and if I were him, I'd be churning these things out because there's a market for stuff like this, man. Oh, God. Oh, God. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? What do you think you'd sell something like that for? Oh, I bet I bet you can sell that for 100 bucks and people would buy it. That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, yeah. for those listening on the radio, it's a boing ball hovering over what looks like a uh, an Amiga component, basically. Mm-hmm. Like a, Very neat. Very clever. I didn't see this one. Good find on this one, Boat. Yeah, thank you. Very thank clever. You. Good for that guy, too. Nice stuff. Now, Aaron, here's an event just for you. It's the Amiga Tool Jam. <laughs> oh, man. What do you... Every part of that sounds wrong. <laughs> Jam it where, bud? So, you know, uh, this is, I believe that Dan Wood is behind this. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not Dan Wood. This is the other Dan. This is Super Dan. Okay. Super Dan. He is behind this thing. You know, we have all kinds of game jams. Amiga Cami, probably the most famous game jammer out there yes. from Tasmania. Yeah. Uh, but neat, by the way. Yeah. 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 But Zuber Dan is, he's saying, listen, you can't leave the fans of the applications behind. As oh. soon as it is. Oh, the, yeah, you can. D- Doug about shot through the ceiling in rapture when oh, he yeah. heard this. Yeah. So if you are the kind of person that loves Amiga for its tools and applications, its yeah. goods and services, then you should submit an entry. There is, uh, this thing just started. There, are, There's about six months left. Uh, so far, 36 people have committed to the Amiga Tool Jam. There's a category for you, Boat, most useless tool. Hey, yeah, that'll, that'll be on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> so, check that out. That's over at itch.io slash jam slash Amiga Look, Tool Look, they got jam. prizes here. Tank mouse. Ooh. Uh, I've got one of these, by the way, the wireless mice. Mm-hmm. I'll do a little thing on it later. Mm-hmm. They're really good, though. I, enjoy, I think they're quite good. Pie Storm. Uh, some other stuff, cards, good stuff there, good prizes. Yeah, 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 so check that out. Um, next up, we got some gaming news here. This first thing, this is a uh, this is a rogue-like game. You know, these roguelike games, Aaron, they're all the rage Yeah, these I've heard days. that, I've heard that. Uh, and uh, this is one that's called Rogue De- Declon Zero. Good, okay. Declon? <laughs> Not exactly sure how what to pronounce that. that? Boat? Well, it's like when you break up a clan. Yeah, you got to declan it. This is a game that kind of you know it's got that sort of <laughs> that sort <laughs> of cute tiny dungeons feel to it. Look at that two joystick. You yeah, can, yeah. Well, this is uh, it's sort of the Amiga version of a game like Binding of Isaac. I don't and know it's got Hoffman involved. Yeah, of course. I mean, he's involved. It goes in everywhere. Everything. He is. He is. 
So anyway, uh, this is a work in progress game right now. Not exactly sure when this is going to uh, release, but we will certainly let you know when it that does. That looks okay. Yeah. That looks okay, Boat. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, our next game, Aaron, This get, get ready to get excited. I know how much you love your Zelda. A new Zelda homage is being teased for the Amiga. Uh, this is called Sword and Sorcerer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it looks like a Zelda dungeon. I believe the only footage, yes, the only footage so far is this one single dungeon room. It looks just like Zelda. It looks exactly like Zelda. Listen, if they can create a compelling, uh, you know, same sort of uh, system where you you explore the overworld and you delve deep into dungeons and, and collect treasure and fight monsters... I'd be up for that. Just, just as long as they're not remaking the Spirits Legacy, one of the worst games ever created. I'll be happy. I'm just. Oh, here's what I'm waiting for. So I want a, a Zelda two game built on the Sword of Sodan. Oh, now you're I'm talking. In. Now you're talking. <laughs> All right, and finally, Aaron, our final news story for the week. This is Super Mini Jew. Okay, hmm. uh, this game looks a lot like uh, it's kind of got a Donkey Kong Junior kind of vibe to it. I would say uh, it's a. It looks like a, a single screen platformer. Uh, you have to avoid the monsters and free rabbits from cages. You know, I love these type of games. I was playing a game on the Famicom that never got a U.S. release called Nuts and Milk. Yeah, I've heard of that. This. What are you in this? I'm trying to understand what. What am I? Uh, that's a great question. It's I. I think that your main character is black, and set against that black background, it's it's hard to know. Really, <laughs> it's hard to know. Um, but uh, yeah, you also get to cut grass, which is another one of your favorite things from hey, the Zelda just series. Like lawn. Yeah, and so uh, there's that. That's about all. But again, we thank Indie Retro News for writing these up, and we thank Saberman. Saberman is just on it all the time for creating these videos. Man, he he never does that guy sleep. No, it's amazing. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. So that's going to wrap up our Amiga news for this week, Aaron. Uh, what do we got going on over at the YouTube channel? We had uh, some releases this week, both. Uh, let's talk about um, Way of the Exploding Fist. Okay. Tell us about it, Bode. Well, uh, there, there's a... A lot of times when you think about what are the greatest games on the... Uh, the, the greatest one-on-one fighters, two-on-one fighters. People always talk about IK+. Listen, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of IK+. Yeah. I, I, I prefer the Karate Champ. And by extension, I prefer the way of the exploding fist. Man, we we love this one. Mm-hmm. Not to tip our hand, and we almost had an exploding fist round right here. In That's the studio. right. We almost had a throwdown. You know, over this. But it's funny because we both love the game. We both <laughs> put it over. That it makes no sense. But it was great, great fun. Uh, so check that out. Uh, so myself and the Brent, we had a uh, chat choice come up, and some goofball selected weather games, games about weather. And so, lo and behold, we picked uh, a couple games about the weather. And during the filming of this show, it stormed during the filming. So, if you want to hear us talk about weather games during an actual weather event. And I don't mean like a light mist. I mean thunder, lightning, wind, the whole nine yards. People have gotten a big hoe over this one. Mm -hmm. And we did have a good time. Uh, And also, FMV and C64 action, good to go. I'm going to jump over to stream team real quick, Boat. Uh... I want to mention that uh, our good buddy, the Flaxster, uh, released a, uh, a basketball, there's a theme, a basketball game. on. Uh, he did basketball games on DOS. So, And this is some weird stuff, including uh, uh, some uh, more obscure titles. That like doesn't your look Magic too bad Johnson. right there, whatever No, it's that not is. bad. 
He also does like a, a street sports and some other stuff. So check him out. That does look bad. Yeah. But the big news, people are like, what happened? What's, what's the big news? Well, the big news is myself, the Southern Dandy, John Buttercutcher, and Professor Wrestling caught all the action last week for Battleground Championship Wrestling's Operation Torch yes. boat. It in was a happening. You know, in attendance were veritable legends. You had your Tito Santana. Yeah. You had your Mouth of the South. Yeah. Who's the other guy? You had Greg the Hammer Valentine. Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah, yeah. You had a lot of good stuff there. So, uh, anyway, if you are interested in watching the full uncut version, it is available in the Amigo Stream Team uh, channel. Please like and subscribe. And uh, all we did was cut out the uh, intermission boat. Not yeah. too bad. And then lastly, uh, let's talk about 48K Ram. This is episode Josh versus the Mac Classic. Mm. He goes to work. Trying to fix this sucker, and I, here's a spoiler: it's Josh. So you know he gets it done. Yeah. Right? And we should have some new stuff coming from Happy Coding in the next couple of days, and a couple more from Josh. I got a lot of stuff to post in the Amigo Stream Team area, so check it out, won't you? All right, Aaron, what are we going to play next week? Shall we see? And the survey says, "Bam!" It's blobs. 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 <laughs> This is a doesn't inspire confidence, but we're coming off Loom, another one-word game. It's Blobs. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we'll have to check this out. I we've not yet played it, so I'm reserving judgment, but at the same time, I'm judging it. <laughs> you can tell by the uh, extended uh, picture of the cover that this is a CD32 title. Mm. Mm. There you go. <laughs> All right, so we want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank all of our uh, Twitch watchers that tune in live every Friday at 5 for us to record this bad boy. Mm. Uh, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash amigospodcast. We will see you next week for Blobs, and until then, adios.
Thank mm-hmm. you.